Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for our lives. We thank you that we get to be born at such a time as this. We thank you, God, that you predestined us in love to be adopted into your family through Jesus. You predestined us long ago before you formed the world, says Peter, long ago before you formed the worlds, you chose us in him. And you chose us in him to be holy and blameless and to be conformed to your very nature. And then in the fullness of time, you sent your son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem us who were under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you then sent the spirit of your son into our hearts, we now cry out, Abba, because you are our father and we have perfect access. And therefore, we're no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters. That is what we are. And then that will be revealed later. And so now, God, I ask that you would give us a fresh infilling of your truth and your light. We ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that you would increase our awareness of the hope we have. Increase our awareness of the hope we have. Increase our awareness of the hope that you have given us, a fully furnished hope, a life fully furnished for us, ready, prepared for us to enter into, to enjoy. Not to make, to enter into. We thank you, God, for your Bible, by which we have light for our path. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that has sealed us for the day of redemption. We thank you, God, that you've given us the saints, the church, that we could encourage each other, that we could walk through life together as a family with Jesus as the head of this community, with Jesus as the one in charge, the one from whom every single one of us is getting marching orders, the vine from whom every one of us branches is drawing sap daily. Actually, not drawing sap. The sap's actually flowing to us. We're not sap suckers. That's what I heard a preacher say. His whole sermon was that we're sap suckers. And then somebody who actually understood how it works came up after service and said, that's not how it works. The vine's doing the work, not the branches. The vine's actually pushing its substance into the branches. The branches are just passive. As long as they stay connected, they get filled. So God, we thank you for who you are. This is your plan. This is your salvation. Life's your idea. Salvation's your idea. Adoption's your idea. Forgiveness is your idea. Redemption is your idea. Us finding your love and letting it come home is your idea. We didn't choose you. You chose us. You want fellowship with us way more than we could ever want it with you. And you want lost people to find your love and come home way more than we, we, we want them to. So we trust you, God. You are altogether lovely and right and righteous. Everything you do is good. There's not a soul on earth you've ever sinned against. You've never lied. You've never wronged anyone. You've never cheated. You've never gone back on your word. You've never betrayed anyone. You've not ever done any of the things that we've done and that have been done to us. So we declare tonight we are not upset with you. We are not finding fault with you. We don't have a problem with you. And where we do, we say, Lord, it's on our end, not your end. And we ask that you'd open our eyes to see you more clearly and to unlearn what life's taught us. Amen.
I just realized, oh, I could keep praying for a good another half hour. So on that theme, the thought that I was like, okay, I can pray about this next, is the idea that every single one of us has been shaped and formed by influences. Some of those influences are people who have been close to us in our life, and that at critical times of our life, they've impacted us. And then that's now how we're responding to life out of the things we learn from that. But some of the influences are just simply people we look at and say, now that's a good life. And we might not even know them. They might be celebrities. They might be race car drivers. They might be sports people. They might be business owners. They might just be people we hope, you know, political leaders. But people we look at and we go, now that's a good life. Once uh, I was working with somebody and we were commenting on a musician. And the musician is desperately depressed, but filthy rich. And somebody said, and I said, oh, the poor guy is just really not happy. And the guy I said it to said, what? Yeah, but look at him. He's as successful as can be, and, he, and he's got all the money he'll ever want. And I thought, oh, my word, we have different value systems. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? In my friend's mind, and I'll tell you who the musician was, Trent Reznor from the band Nine Inch Nails. And um, you can just tell by the music, he ain't ain't having a good time. (laughs) My friend, his values were, if you have money, then you are a success. And that's really living. If you believe that's really living, Jesus will definitely not be your rabbi. People with money will be your rabbi. Because whoever it is that you look to to shape your view of where the real good life is, that's your rabbi. That's your real Messiah. That's your real teacher. And we, Christians, are the people who have said, you look at Jesus to see what real life is, what real peace is, what real joy looks like, what real success in relationships looks like. That's a successful man right there. That's a fulfilled man. That's a full life right there. And we go, hey, can you teach me to pray like you pray? Can you teach me to give like you give? Can you teach me to love like you love? Can you teach me to have mercy like you have mercy? Can you teach me to go through my day with the Father the way you do? Can I get in on what you have in life? Because I only see what I see in you, in you, like no one else. There's no one else who has what you have at the level you have it, Jesus. No one. There's no one who has the kind of indestructible life that he has at the level he has it. Okay? All right, so that's just a sidebar. What I wanted to talk about tonight is two separate little messages. And the first one is just from this morning's Bible reading. I read 2 Peter, the whole book, but I'm not going to read you the whole book. I just want to give you a little taste of a theme. And the taste of a theme is... Who is that? If I could make the huh, huh, at the same time that I do the then I would have that sound down, right? Can I do that? No, I almost, it's really hard. It's like, what's the thing where you rub and pat? And, okay. <laughs> Let's all try that. At the same time, we know we want to try that. Okay, this is like big, this is a big, big passage right here. By his divine power, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. 
by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you, enable you. What enables you? Promises enable you to share his divine nature. And escape the world's corruption caused by human or evil desires. And then throughout Second Peter, he comes back to that theme and shows, he warns us with examples, some outside the church, of people ruled by human, mere human desire. And then some people, fake, phony, greedy, uh, hyper-spiritual leaders who love attention and want to lure people to follow them, who are also led by their evil desires. And so the great threat that Peter sees to the church is that in these last days, we not really take on the nature of Jesus. And instead, we kind of go to church and we have a form, but the inward part is still doing me, 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 me. Right? And so I said the other day, uh, I guess it was at leadership meeting, um, Travis Green, wonderful songwriter, he said, the great danger of the church is not necessary. For most of us, the great addiction that we're in danger of is not drugs, but comfort. Comfort. That we end up defaulting to seeking and doing and spending time and energy trying to get what will make us feel comfortable, which really aligns well with what the Lord said to me one day. Uh, I was trying to repent of something, but I wasn't just trying to repent. I was trying to dig underneath the sin and go, why did I do that? Why? I want to understand the psychological roots of it. I don't just want to repent of the behavior. I want to get to the roots. And the Lord says, stop trying to dignify the flesh. And I said, dignify the flesh? I'm trying to like get it out by the roots, understand why I did that. And he goes, no, you're not. You're trying to put a respectable, psychological, intellectual interpretation on your sin so that it will feel like, oh, yeah, that sin does make sense. I can see how someone could commit that sin. It's not actually that bad. You poor dear. You're almost a victim of sin. You poor baby. (laughs) Oh, it must be hard being so sinful and selfish. You You just need more hugs. You just need to be told you're a good boy more. And And I was like, the Lord wasn't quite that dramatic. He just said, stop trying to dignify the flesh. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do with it? And he's like, put it to death. You don't need to interpret it, explain it, find psychological reasons for it. You don't need to go to 20 years of counseling to have somebody tell you it's your dad's fault, it's your mom's fault, you should be a lesbian, leave your husband, you know, your kids will be fine. Because we've seen that, haven't we? 20 years of counseling makes you more, more bitter, more victimized, less powerful, less able to take responsibility for yourself, more sure that everything in your life is because of what somebody else did to you. Take all the weapons out of your, out of your locker and hand you a big backpack said, you poor baby. Here's a hundred reasons why you couldn't be expected to behave any better than you have. In fact, it's a shock and a wonder that you're not a mess. I mean, you're a little mess, but it's a shock and a wonder that you're here at all, you poor baby. Whereas God's like, okay, none of that, gets, uh, none of that has a right to name me. Yes, my dad did that to me, but, that does, but now my heavenly father has named me and I'm believing God. 
Yeah, my spouse cheated on me, but that doesn't mean I'm rejected because Jesus has actually shown me that he doesn't have a clue who he is. So why would I let someone who doesn't have a clue who he is try to tell me who I am? Okay, so the Lord says, don't, don't dignify your flesh. And I go, well, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, just put it to death. And he goes, actually, the flesh is really simple, Tim. Here's what it wants. It wants pleasure. It wants comfort. And it wants them both right now. And I thought, hmm, you know, I think that's correct. Comfort. When comfort starts to be our main goal, you know it's not the Spirit of God that we are being led by. Because Jesus wants us to be pursuing this life. There's a life that he has furnished for us, that he's fashioned for us, just like the promised land in the Old Testament that he furnished for the people of God. There's a promised land that's ours in our covenant. His divine power has given us everything we need to live this godly life through his great and precious promises. There's something that we're to be leaning into. And then he goes on like three, four times in 2 Peter and he says, make every effort. And you go, but make every effort. That sounds like legalism. And you go, well, no, it would be legalism if it was earning something. Effort and earning are not even close to the same thing. Grace is against earning, but grace is not against effort. In fact, grace is what empowers us to make an effort in the right path, the path of what we're talking about here, which is relationship. I'm making great pains to make sure that I'm seeking God and not falling back into the flesh because he says right here, he says that we're we're enabled by his promises to to share his divine nature and escape and escape the corruption that's prevalent in the world caused by evil human desires. So which, which goes back to what I keep saying. I preach this all the time, and you guys know it. It's not about forgiveness of sins without freedom from the power of sin. That's not Our goal is not to stay in sin and then just get out of the consequences later. I, I, I don't want to be free to sin. I want to get out of it. Yes, forgiveness, hallelujah, praise God, forgiveness. I don't think we could ever praise God enough for the miracle of forgiveness. But forgiveness is like half the gospel. Release from slavery to sin. To participate in the nature of God. That's that's actually what salvation is about. That's what I came to Jesus to get. That was what my salvation was. I didn't even think about heaven until later. And then when I thought of it, I was like, what? And I'm sticking with that. So anyway, if you guys want to give a a speed read in the next couple of days to 2 Peter, it's kind of a fun read. His vision is really intense and serious. He says, I'm an old man. I'm going to die soon. And I know you guys are sick and tired of hearing the same things, but I'm going to keep saying it because I'm going to die soon, and I need you to remember when I'm gone. And here's what I need you to remember when I'm gone. I need you to remember you're holy people because God saved you. Now I need you to make sure that you don't waste this brief time that you have before the return of Jesus. Don't waste it. Every moment matters. Every day matters. This is not downtime. This is not filler. You're not on the sidelines. You're in the game. You're in the game. The clock is ticking and you're in the game. And I need you guys to run well so that when Jesus does come back, you receive the crown of life. I need you to be holy. I need you to not fall back into the stuff that you got saved out of. In fact, then he goes on and he says crazy stuff like, if you meet Jesus and then you fall back, it'd be better if you had never even known him. And you go, whew, that's intense. 
then he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah and says they were, they were destroyed by fire because they came under God's condemnation. God said, There's, they're not going to turn. Time's up. They're not going to turn. God right now is being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to, re- to have the opportunity to receive eternal life. They, redeemed, they're not going to turn. So he brought uh, sulfur and fire from heaven, and it says they serve as a warning of what will happen to the ungodly. This is New Testament, by the way. Peter, they, that Sodom and Gomorrah serve as a warning of what is coming for ungodly people. And then he says, and, and God saved Lot out of that. And so that's the same way it's going to be. God knows how to let righteous and wicked people live on the same planet and deliver the righteous out of every trial and bring them home to his glory while bringing appropriate judgment on the sinners. It's a hardcore book. And it's actually a really encouraging book at the same time. Okay, I just thought I'd share that briefly. And now here's on to the, more of the, the little teachy thing for the night. 